On this episode of This Week in Linux, Ubuntu disabled downloads for 1710 ISO. We'll talk about why and what is being done to solve it. We'll check out some good news from Thunderbird, UbiPorts, Solus, Amazon, and more. Then we'll take a look at some interesting command line tools that had updates this week. Steam's winter sale is currently live for those looking to save some money on some Linux gaming. Later in the show, the LibRetro team is dealing with some license violators that are jumping in on the new prepackaged emulation market. Then we'll look at some potentially good news from NVIDIA. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about the Patreon-only extras part of the show. This Week in Linux covers a wide range of news stories each week, but the main show is limited to 20 topics. This limit is so the show can cover a lot of topics while still being as concise and informative as possible. The Patreon Extras is where I cover five or sometimes more extra topics just for patrons. The amount of extra topics varies each week, but it's at least always five. This week, there's six. So if you'd like to get the extra topics, go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. Up first in the show this week is Ubuntu 17.10 ISO downloads were disabled, and this is due to a BIOS corruption issue. It appears that the the issue st- stems from an Intel SPI driver that is inside of the 4.13 kernel. It seems to be corrupting a select number of motherboards for various different manufacturers and models. It's mostly seeming to be affecting Lenovo laptops with uh, the Yoga and IdeaPad more commonly, but it's also affecting Acer, Toshiba, so that's not good. They have dis- uh, Ubuntu has decided to take down the download until they can fix it. The plans right now is to disable the SPI drivers inside the kernel, which has been verified to be a workaround that work- that fixes it. It doesn't do anything if you already have a corrupted BIOS, though, so... In that, in that case, there's actually like one particular possibility that you could do, which is flashing the removable flash chip. Because so, for example, if you remove some like some BIOS, some laptops have multiple BIOS setups, so that if you remove one, you can have it automatically reflash the other. So in those cases, you can reset the BIOS, and there's been reports that that has worked for quite a few people. There's also another option if that doesn't work and it's not not very pretty in the sense of replacing the motherboard itself. It it seems that the SPI kernel driver is the the res, is responsible for it, but the current solution right now is to just disable that driver so that it wouldn't have the ability to affect anything. The what SP, the SPI kernel driver is for reading and writing to the SPI serial flash on the motherboard. And due to the way that the SPI serial flash hold is holding on the BIOS it hold, I mean, it holds BIOS data and other platform-specific data, and it holds it inside of the firmware. It's supposed to be read-only, and something is happening where it's not read-only, and that's what's creating this issue. We're not like there's there's not enough information about out right now that really goes into detail as in what's happening exactly, but uh, it's definitely not a good thing. And thankfully, Canonical has jumped onto the situation and is going to fix it, and it's a uh, not allowing people to download it once they realize this was an issue. So that's a good thing as far as like the response, but um, moving on to happier news. We got an update this week from the Thunderbird team announcing that they're working on a new look for the UI and the logo for the Thunderbird email client. 
Uh, friend of the show, Ryan Sipes, their new community manager, posted on the Medium uh, website a detailed blog post about uh, the, the new theme that's coming out, the Photon Visual Refresh. It's, it's, it's basically uh, similar to the, how the new Firefox looks. But there's also potential for a new theme that's a vastly different theme. This I'm looking forward to. If they actually go through with this, this will be fantastic because this looks pretty good. I think this this box on the side, um, on the left side of the sidebar, is kind of big for the icons in it. But overall, it looks pretty slick. Now I will point out that they they also doing this new logo thing. Uh, it's more like an updated logo compared to the, the the in the same way that the Firefox logo is being done, uh, how they refreshed it. Um, I will say though, I don't really like this. Like, overall, I do like the logo. It's it's nice. It's 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 um it's still very detailed. And it looks it looks pretty good, but this color of the envelope kind of looks like it's like old and like waterlogged paper. So it looks it's just a weird color choice. They should go back to this gray color, like this gray white color. I think that would be much better. So anyway, it's like I'm glad I'm glad that the Thunderbird team is actually updating their their stuff because it's it's needed it for a while. Flatpak zero point ten point two was released this week. It, in this, the release comes with a Flatpak update command. Now updates apps from both the system and the user installations by default. So it just automatically does both of them. It also added some remote, uh, remote dash command improvements, so that you can now automatically des- it, the system will automatically decide by default if they need to use either the uh, dash dash system or the dash dash user arguments for the remote updates. The other update is the Flatpak install command now supports the ability to do TACTAC reinstall argument for uninstalling previous versions of the apps before you install the new one. So that's a pretty cool improvement. So Flatpak 0.10.2. Snapcraft 2.38 was released this week, and with it comes better support for classic snaps. And classic snaps allow you to allow for true isolation um, of host dynamic linking executables. So basically what it means is that you can link to aspects of the, the host system rather than just all contained inside the snap. So you can use that stuff that's in the core of the system. But now you can have true isolation through that so the classic snaps will work more efficiently and more perf- have better performance. Prior to that version of Snipecraft, true isolation was not a possibility. But they've changed it so that they can. They it uses a better interpreter, and also uses more um, uses valid paths for the binaries that are included for the for the snaps. Also, this week Spotify was released as a snap for Linux. So on the website, the Spotify for Linux website, it says that the Spotify team say that Spotify for Linux is a labor of love from our engineers that wanted to listen to Spotify on their Linux development machines. The work on, they work on it in their spare time, and it is currently not a platform that we actively support. So they, they, they're doing a snaps now, so they're, they're improving their support for Linux, but it's still not something that they're going to like actually put their time behind. It is a good sign that previously they hadn't updated it. I don't think they've even updated it at all this year. The adding snap support for it makes it more easy for them to update things. So that's that's a very good sign. As uh, also there was an update from Ubuntu that JetBrains have released a lot of their software as snaps, including PHP Storm, PyCharm, and many more. This week we got an update from Amazon 
that Firefox and the Silk browser will be available, or actually are available right now, on Amazon Fire TV devices. So if you have a Fire Stick or something like that, uh, you'll be able to use Firefox and Silk on the, those devices. Now, the funny thing about this is I actually purchased a Fire, uh, a Fire TV Stick for someone from Christmas. And they were watching it, and then all of a sudden they got a notification saying, YouTube will no longer be available as far as January 1st, 2018. So they they called me and said, what's going on here? I was like, oh, essentially uh, Amazon and Google are having a fight between Chromecast not being able to use Amazon services and products, and now Google's not allowing Amazon to use their products for of YouTube specifically. But this is funny because this is like an Amazon's way of ignoring all of that because they're just adding a, a browser so that you can go to YouTube in that browser. They're not specifically saying that's why they're doing it. But they announced this about a week and a half after the announcement for the removal of YouTube. So the the likelihood that that's why is it's pretty high. But either way, I mean, Fire, the Fire TV users will be able to continue watching YouTube. So I, I guess uh, in the game of chess between Google and Amazon, Amazon's kind of winning. Collabora's Code 3.0, or the Collabora Online Development Edition, was released this week. If you're not aware of what this is, this is a full-featured editing suite sort of thing that allows you to use LibreOffice inside of your browser. So the release this week was an update to provide full feature functionality in, uh, for the code project. It uh, supports the ODT through DocX, that's like uh, Word documents, and you got spreadsheet files with the ODS and XLS, and then presentation files with the ODP and PPT. Uh, this feature, this uh, release also includes support for syncing functionality with file sharing services like Nextcloud, CFile, eGroupware, and many more. If you ever wanted to have LibreOffice in your in your web browser, and maybe even like deploy like an like a, your own cloud editing software competitor for Google Docs, well, now you can. G Radio 7.0 is released this week, and with it comes the ability to export your library to an M3U playlist. It now has a unified library view, so you can have multiple different all your different radio stations combined into a single library. And they've, they've improved various UI and performance aspects to the, to the software. So if you're interested in checking out G-Radio G-Radio 7.0, so if you want to try it out now, you can just set up Flatpak and good to go. Vimb, Vimb, not totally sure. V-I-M-B, either way, one of those is correct. Is a Vim-like browser, and 3.1.0 was released this week. It's a... It's a web browser that you can use like Vim with the different shortcuts and like this the sort the sequence shortcut style of Vim, and it uses the uh, WebKit two. Well, it uses WebKit two now, uh, the WebKit two uh, rendering engine and GTK for the. Well, there's not much visuals, but they use GTK for those anyway. This release has introduces uh, auto group and auto command ported to WebKit two, and migrates all of w, uh, v, I, VIMB to WebKit 2. Uh, WebKit 2 was the redesigned feature uh, built of of WebKit in 2010. 
And it that sounds like it's kind of like late or anything, but not really because a Apple didn't start switching everything over for what to WebKit two until 2014. So it's not that out of date or anything. Um, and if you're not you're not aware, WebKit is made by Apple, so that's why that part is that part is important. As I said in the earlier, the uh, auto group and auto command were ported, and to just to so you know what the auto command is is pretty cool. It's a command that allows you to execute um, other commands automatically in response to some kind of event like a, speci a specific website being loaded. So if you're wanting a, a web browser that is incredibly minimal, then check out Vimb, Vimb, V-I-M-B, one of those. Tizonia 0.11.0. Tizonia is a... Spotify is a music player for the command line, and it supports streaming music as well as local music. Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, SoundCloud, and something I've never heard of until this particular application called Durbel. It allows you to play streaming music through your command line, as well as this latest version, 0 0.11.0, adds support for playing local files as well. And it also uh, fixed a few YouTube issues that they were having. So if you're interested in listening to some music through the terminal and you want and you prefer like streaming music like Spotify, give Tizonia a shot. Translate Shell 0.9.6.6 was released this week. Translate Shell is a really cool uh, translation for the command line service. So you can use uh, Google Translate, Bing Translator, Yandex Translate, DeepL Translator, and Apertium. Apertium? I don't know. Anyway, a really interesting translation tool for the command line. So it's super fast translations that you can do from like one language to another, or you can even do multiple language at a time. So you can say you can instead of like most of these services, you only look one at a time. You can say, I want here's what I want you to translate. Here's the languages I want you to translate it in, and it gives you a nice list of all the all the data. That's a pretty cool, pretty cool system. So if you're interested in checking out some command line translations then check out Translate Shell. This week the FSF added the PureOS distribution from Purism. They have added the PureOS to the FSF approved list so it's uh, officially recognized as a distribution that respects the user's freedom through free software and free culture. So that's pretty cool for them. Uh, congrats and if you're interested in checking out PureOS, you can actually download it and put it on your own system now if you want. Um, there's also stuff like Triskel and GNU Sense and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool for PureOS. Um, it's been a while since that I've seen the FSF actually update their list. So, you know, cool. This we've got an announcement for the Linux Steam integration system from Solus, as well as some Solus 4 news. So first, the Linux Steam integration 0.7.2 has been released, and it has initial support for SnapD. It also has a, a new Unity 3D game engine workaround. If you're not familiar with uh, Unity uh, 3D gaming on Linux, there's sometimes a common bug where when you launch the game in full screen, it will have like a black rendering instead of the actual game. And you can remove that. It would like some... Com like environmental, like these parameters will fix that. This is a I I haven't looked into it and see it, but it, this is a, some something like that where the workaround is in, built into the LSI. 
that also they've added enhanced vendor rules. So um, you can have like the vendors can make a request for a particular package to load and the LSI will decide for itself whether that's actually a good idea or not and provide a better solution if there is one. They've also added a massively enhanced shim system. And the shim system includes support for XDDG specification within inside of the shim. So that is pretty cool. The snap version of the LSI is currently available and it can be installed on snappy enabled distros. But it does need SnapD's latest version from like the Git repository or the Snappy Edge PPA if you're running a Ubuntu derivative. The Solus 4 news we got this week is that Solus 4 will be coming in January 2018. Budgie 11 will not be included in this release, but there is a lot of cool stuff that will be included, such as the software center will have full Snap support. They'll be integrating a new LDM library for hot plug aware features so that you can dynamically discover drivers uh, for various different things and automatically uh, offer a prompt to install those drivers. That it, And it's not just like graphics drivers or like NVIDIA drivers or anything like that. It's also it's that, but also stuff like installing drivers for like Razer mice and other peripherals like USB brother printers and etc. That is pretty cool and I'm totally excited for Solus 4. Elo is a Linux mobile project that was is founded by the same founder of Mandrake Linux. This is a Kickstarter to fund a an operating system and maybe even a phone. It's not really a Linux-based operating system because it's 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 not like a distribution Linux distribution-based system. It's a fork of Lineage, which is a fork of CyanogenMod, which is a fork of AOSP, which is the open source version of Android. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're adding special other than like a custom launcher and a custom design that they they kind of represented sort of looks similar to Matt, to like the the iOS approach. Um, it's not it's not bad looking. It looks pretty good. It's just like what exactly is the benefit of this? Because you know if they talk about the whole privacy issue, making his own derivative of an already existing derivative that is kind of doing the same thing because lineage OS is already very privacy and security oriented. I don't know what I think about this one. What do you think about it? Let me know in the comments below or in the live chat. If you join me today for the live stream, UB ports released Ubuntu touch over the air three today or not today. Sorry, this week, this week, they did do something today. I'll get to that in a second, but this week they announced the, uh, the release for the over the air update. And this replaces the Ubuntu store with the open store. It adds support for NextCloud accounts and adds support for X-forwarding over SSH. It also adds uh, the enabling of auto-completion in the terminal application and switches the DuckDuckGo search engine to the default. As I said, they, were al they also did something today. Uh, on a live stream today, they announced that they have plans to upgrade supported devices to 1604 and that they have plans to implement Android app support via Anbox for all the devices that have capable hardware of running them. So that is fantastic news. I, I'm even more interested in checking out Ubuntu Touch because having newer packages for everything and also having Android app support, that increases the potential for the platform immensely. And thanks to Farron in the live chat for letting me know about this update while streaming so that I didn't miss it in putting it in the show. 
So anyway, Ubuntu Touch over the air 3 is available, and UE Ports Ubuntu Touch has, has me even more excited than it already did. The LibRetro Lib team uh, posted a blog post on their site this week asking media outlets to bring attention to essentially their code being ripped off and put into various different devices, definitely against the licenses of, of for the software. If you've, this has been a bigger issue. If you notice that since the Nintendo, like NES Classic was announced, and they started making it do it like emulation for the old games, people or companies are now trying to like take software from other projects and then prepackage them into this device so that they can sell and make money off of the work of other people. And this that's kind of been a, a thing in open source before. Uh, people have done that with Codeats, for, for example. Uh, but that's a different topic altogether. But in this case, they're doing something that's completely against the licenses. For example, LibRetro is a team that creates RetroArch, which is a front end for emulators and game engines. And they also create something called Laka. And we talked about Laka in episode 16. So if you want to check that out, the link is in the video description and in the cards. So Laka is a Linux distribution. Distribution. <laughs> Laka is a Linux distribution that can turn a computer into a retro gaming console type. So they have a, a variety of licensing situ situations for to allow to, to create these particular projects. So, for example, RetroArch is a GPL-based software. Laka is not. Laka supports... Uh, it does not have ability to be GPL because certain aspects, like, for example, the emulators, cannot be GPL because they're already pre-licensed and they're mostly licensed to non-commercial usage. Since 2014, companies like Hyperkin started selling products that are prepackaged devices that you can play retro games using the RetroArch or the Laka software. And since Nintendo announced these, this, their new devices, it's actually kind of escalated the amount of pro companies that are trying to do this approach of taking the LibRetro's team, the software, and making it as a prepackaged, essentially illegally for the license. They've been somewhat successful in a way. Like, for example, a company called Tech Syndicate was making a, a device that they were selling on Amazon that prepackaged Laka, and they the LibRetro team were able to convince Amazon to take that out of their stores. So they are somewhat successful, but they have been... Uh, dealing with it for a couple of years. Ret RetroBit is a new one that created the Super RetroCade. It uses RetroArch. It, it, well, here's the thing about that one. Theirs is weird because Retro, the RetroBit Super RetroCade has admitted that they are using RetroArch, but they claim that they don't even know what emu uh, emulators are being provided by default because they, they claim that the people who made it are no longer with the company. So they don't even know if they're violating the licenses or not. They probably are. It is okay for them to provide RetroArch and not Laka by default because RetroArch is it is GPL'd. So if you provide the software and the license with that, then it would be okay. But they don't seem to know what emulators are being used. In more than likely, they are using emulators that are not licensed for GPL usage. And if they are providing Laka, they're definitely not able. To, they're not legally allowed to do that. And the reason is Laka has a non-commercial license itself because the emulators that are included with it are also uh, provided with a non-commercial license. So that so Laka itself can't have anything other than a non-commercial license because the emulators it includes has non-commercial. 
the the weird thing about this is that multiple companies like Cyber Gadget and Tech Syndicate have claimed that they're doing something that's legally and perfectly fine because of the GPL. Even though these software is not GPL, they're just ignoring it and trying to sell the stuff anyway. Um, some of them have acknowledged that they're doing something wrong and they've decided to stop doing it. So Tech Syndicate did say that they're not going to do it anymore. They're just going to release the device without Laka, which is okay. That's that's fine for the license. And they can also even give them like a tutorial of how to install Laka if they want, just not prepackaged. But they're they're still dealing with other companies who are trying to sell these devices without permission and without legal standing. And even if even if Laka wanted to sell, allow this to happen, like even if they wanted to make money in like a partnership or something, they legally can't do that because they don't have they don't control the the licensing of all of the emulators. So even if they wanted to, they can't. So some of the companies are even like making these weird claims online, like on Twitter, about how they don't understand why the Lib Retro team or Laka don't want to make money with this stuff. And uh, well, it's because you know they can't. That's why. So it's it's just this weird situation that. Lib Retro is currently involved in, and hopefully getting more and more people to know about this will help make them not want to buy these devices unless they buy a device that has fairly abided by the licenses of the emulators and of the distro. Lib Retro team, good luck with this, and thank you for making RetroWatch and Laka. They are fantastic, so thank you. The Steam Winter Sale is now live. You can go to tuxdigital.com slash Steam Sale to check out all of the games that are supported on Linux. This actually works pretty much all the time. Anytime there's a game that's on sale for for Linux, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Steam Sale and it'll show you the list. But because the Winter Sale is a massive sale with tons of games, um, I wanted to feature it on the show as well. So like this, this sale has uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive, Rocket League, Bioshock Infinite, XCOM 2, Borderlands, Human Fall Flat, Dying Light, uh, Robot Derby, Robot Robot Roller Derby Disco Dodgeball. That one's fun to say. Robot Roller Derby Disco Dodgeball. That's on sale as well. And there's also a few games that have like some new updates that came out this week that are also on sale, like Move or Die, which is like a party game style with like weird, ridiculous characters, and a very popular Half-Life mod called Half-Life Caged, which is like a prison escape mod for Half-Life, is now available on Linux and is on sale for the winter sale. And we also saw some up some releases for uh, MMO called Wild Terra Online. And Crashlands is also available this week this this week uh, on Linux, and they are two on sale for the Steam. So if you're interested in checking out some games on sale, and you're not already hurting from the previous Steam sale that we covered, feel free to check out tuxdigital.com/steamsale. Dimension Drive was announced this week for Linux, and it's not on sale actually for the Steam sale, but it's a really cool idea for a game, so I wanted to feature it anyway. And it's also brand new release to Linux this week, so that is cool. Dimension Drive is an interesting space shoot 'em up game, and the, the the idea about the game is that you're using a split screen mode where you control your your character is is 
is on both sides at the same time, but one is like incorporeal and the other one is, is playable on that side. So you do puzzles and you fight enemies on one side and then switch back and forth to the other side. So you have to pay attention to both sides uh, at the same time. So it's a really interesting concept to a like a, this kind of style shooter game. So I just want to feature it because it looks like a really cool idea. And it's for Linux. So that's awesome. NVIDIA did a code drop this week with the experimental allocator driver for Nuvo. This is kind of a replacement for some previous things. That, well, not really a replacement, but a potential successor to some other things that were not necessarily well-received by the community. You know, the Nuvo people would probably want, like, reclocking abilities and ability to, like, sign firmware and Vulkan drivers or something, something like that. You know, like open uh, AMD open source their Vulkan drivers. That'd be nice if NVIDIA did. But this is still something. And that the uh, GBM or the generic buffer manager uh, is something that NVIDIA did not want to support. So instead they made EGL streams, which is not well received by the community. And this experimental allocator driver is kind of like a replacement for EGL streams. And also a replacement for GBM. And since it's open source, this might be a way for, like, NVIDIA to mend fences between some developers, for, like, compositing developers, for, like, Wayland stuff and uh, device memory allocation and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens here, but, I mean, it's at least they're trying something, right? That's good for NVIDIA, and um, hopefully that's good for the community. NVIDIA announced this week that they're going to stop offering 32-bit driver support. And now they're going to end the... 32-bit support after the release of the 390 series driver. The 390 series will continue to have 32-bit, but it will be the last version they release that has 32-bit support. This is a pretty big thing because this support is not just like, you know, Linux support. This is going to affect Linux, FreeBSD, and all versions of Windows. So all Windows 32-bit versions of Windows 10, Windows 7, 8.1, etc. They're all affected by this. NVIDIA is not going to support 32-bit architectures for any of them. This is going to be, like, this is probably, 2017 is probably, like, the year that 32-bit started to fade away because this this news from NVIDIA is pretty significant for a lot of people. I mean, it's understandable because uh, 32-bit drivers for high-powered graphics is not really that important because you really can't do that much with that. I understand the decision, but, you know, combining this with all the other announcements about 32-bit dropping, this seems to be, like, the year that 32-bit is about, is going away. Not entirely, because you know there's a, there's going to always be niche distros and stuff like that that provide 32-bit support where people need it, and that's fantastic. Um, but for the the main the mainstream hardware and mainstream offerings, it does seem like it's going away. This is a big step in that process. A couple episodes ago, we talked about the legal issues between the Software Freedom Law Center and the Software Freedom Conservancy. This is uh this is this thing's back because there was a update from these the SFLC about the trademark claim. Here's a quote from the SFLC. We propose a general peace releasing all claims that the parties have against one another in in return for an ironclad agreement for mutual non-disparagement, binding all the organizations and individuals involved with strong safeguards against against breach. The SFLC will offer, as part of a, such of an overall agreement, a perpetual, royalty-free trademark license for the Software Freedom Conservancy to keep and use its present name, subject to agreed measures to prevent confusion and continued observance of this non-disparagement 
agreement. So this is a weird thing to say because they're implying that they don't want the Software Freedom Conservancy to have the trademark. They're issuing like trying to, re- to cancel the trademark. They don't want them to have it. Now they're saying it's okay if they have it as long as you admit that we own it. That's weird. That's a very weird approach. Then it says, we move to amend our petition to state as a second ground for the cancellation that the trademark was obtained by fraud. This is so weird because the Software Freedom Law Center helped them get this, the trademark for their, pro, their, their organization. You, now you're saying it's fraud when you helped them. Like, did you commit the fraud? Is that what you're saying? It's so weird. It's so weird. Anyway, the response from the Software Freedom Conservancy was funny because, well, funny to me because their lawyers have said that the fraud allegation is unequivocally unfounded. And, then they, and the Software Freedom Conservancy says, oh, we will not let them further waste our time. We cannot accept any settlement offer that includes a trademark license we don't need. I was like, yeah, that's quite good. It looks like, like this is going to continue, part, part, I don't know how long, but it's definitely something it looks like the the Software Freedom Law Center is trying to, I don't, I don't know what they're trying to do. The trademark aspect of it is weird because they helped get the trademark and were the lawyers for this conservancy for a very long time, for multiple years. So it's like it's just an odd thing for them to do, and now they're calling it fraud. It's hard to take their side, even if you don't have all the data, because they're making a claim that is so easily removed by just the fact that their their involvement with it in the first place. I don't know. If you're interested in checking out, learning more about this topic, then check in the video description below. And if there's a round three, I'll definitely cover it. Um, hopefully, we'll have some more reasonable arguments. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and consider subscribing. If you'd like to support the channel, please consider ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to touchdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.